HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit HeritageFoodsUSA.com. Thursday at one o'clock and you have tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the Farm Report and I am your host, Erin Fairbanks. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today we are on the line with John and Dorothy Prisque of Fountain Prairie Inn and Farms. Welcome to the show, guys. Well, thanks, Erin. Thank you, Erin. Yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely to have you on. So I want to jump right in because we have a ton of stuff to cover. Um, I was hoping you could give us uh, a little bit of a picture uh, of Fountain Prairie. It's kind of an interesting um, farm and in operation. Yes, it is. So Fountain Prairie Farms is named after the township we live in here in Columbia County and near Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, every section in our township has water and would have been uh, tall grass prairie, so hence the name Fountain Prairie. So not only do we have a grass-based farm, we also turned our uh, 1900s-built Queen Anne Victorian house into a a bed and breakfast. So that's the the end part of the Inn and Farms. Excellent. And along with uh, restoring a tall grass prairie and uh, wetland, uh, we went from conventional farming to a totally grass-based farming system uh, using rotational grazing, and the animal of choice is the Scottish Highland cattle. We have one of the largest herds in the entire Midwest of of uh, Scottish Highland cattle. And if you're not familiar with Scottish Highland cattle, uh, they're really, really quite stunning to see. They all have really beautiful curving horns and shaggy coats, uh, really shaggy coats in the winter. They slim down a, a little bit in the summer, but... Uh, they're very, very distinctive look about them. Awesome. And I know if people want to get a peek at, at the end or some of the animals, they can find you at www.fountainprairie.com. So the farm is on about 200 acres, and then 60 of those uh, have been restored to like a tall grass, prairie, and wetland. And you guys, I mean, from the website, I said you're raising about 300 head of cattle. Is that right? 
Well, we actually had about 550 head about a year and a half ago, and now we're down to around 420, 440 head. Uh, we also rent another 250 acres in addition to ours. Uh, but we're also uh, we're managing the restored prairie that's been in for 13 years uh, with the cattle now. So that's pretty interesting, having warm season grasses and uh, all the forbs to work with. The cattle really enjoy being up in the prairie. All the borbs. What is that? Uh, flowers. Ah, okay. And the, I mean, the cattle like being in that because it's extra tasty or it's cooler. Or, I mean, what do you think it is that is the attraction? I think a whole different uh, complex of flavors and smells and tastes from the uh, warm season grasses from the cool season grasses, what we normally use here in Wisconsin. So it just gives them a, like, they just get excited because they're up in, like, this is what this land used to be like, you know, hundreds of years ago before we broke it all and uh, grew corn and soybeans. And it is a little bit higher in elevation, so I think uh, they may be a bit more comfortable because they can catch a little bit of a prevailing breeze. Okay. Well, it sounds like a lovely place to hang out regardless. Now, yeah. Well, it's one of the, our favorite spots on the farm. We like to go up there and just uh, look at the view. And so you guys have been selling at the Dane County Farmer's Market. That's the wonderful um, market in, in, right in, right in down, downtown Madison, right around the Capitol since 1987. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, we started out with asparagus on my brother's farm, and then uh, we got a little bit too far off into the industrial model of agriculture. And we, we then had this epiphany, and when totally grass-based and got rid of all the heavy metal and uh, just kept enough equipment to, to do the rotational grazing. So we've been selling uh, our Highland beef at the farmer's market for about the last oh, 10 or 11 years. Okay, and how did you guys get into farming? Do you have a farming background? Yes, we do. Uh, I grew up on a small dairy farm about 45 miles northeast of Madison, and John grew up uh, not too far from Madison, and I don't know which direction because I'm not good with that. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly uh, I, was, uh, I grew up on a subsistence farm where mo- most of the food was raised to feed the family. There was nine in our family, and uh, the extra then we would sell off. And I started direct marketing, actually, when I was in the seventh grade. That's how I could afford to buy uh, clothes uh, for school. So I've had a long, long history of direct marketing. Wow. So, uh, and, uh, so yeah, the Dane County Farmer's Market is a wonderful market. If you ever get a chance, come to Madison. It's been one of the top, it's been voted now the top 17 in the world, uh, one of the best in the United States. We have over 20,000 people go around the square on a normal Saturday morning. Yeah, no, I've been. It's been a couple of years, but, it, I mean, it definitely is both visually striking and then the array and the energy there is is really intense. I mean, being in New York now where I think we also have a really great market system, it's nice to kind of see uh, that energy in different spots around the country as, as you get to travel around and check things out. Now, the piece of property that you guys are farming on now, was that uh, in the family or did you purchase that together or how did you find your current location? Well, we purchased the farm in 1986, 
And uh, no, it was not a family farm. Uh, we bought it from a, a very optimistic gentleman. He was 92 years old when we bought the farm, and he wrote a 20-year land contract for us. So uh, <laughs> uh, he planned on being around for quite a long time. Um, so when you say land contract, did that mean you, you guys didn't buy the farm outright? You were leasing it, or what, what well, exactly? Well, we actually made a, a huge down payment, and then we just paid him the balance of principal and interest as opposed to a bank. He held the mortgage. Okay. So if we didn't make our payments, he would get the farm back. And I think deep down he expected us that we would never make it farming, and at least that's what he told the neighbors, that he would get the farm back plus our down payment, <laughs> which would be a good way to make money, I guess, if you're 92 years old. Well, I mean, that that is one of the things we're going to talk about in the second half of the show is, is farmers and retirement plans because it is a... Um, it is one of those conversations that I think, in my experience, people working in agriculture push off and push off and push off. But before we talk more into that, um, when you, you got onto the farm, you said you were, were selling asparagus. Now, I believe asparagus is a crop that takes a few years to cultivate. So was there an existing kind of asparagus plot that you were harvesting from, or how did that... No, no, no. When, we, we'll take it one step back. Like a normal farmer, we can never just answer your question. Uh, when we were young and we got married 40 years ago this year, uh, I was already working on the railroad to make money to go farming. So Dorothy and I spent uh, a total of 12 years out west in Montana, Idaho, and Washington. And at that time, Washington was putting in a lot of asparagus, and they were following the lead of California. And I thought, well, why wouldn't that work in uh, Wisconsin? It's one of my favorite vegetables. So we did all of our research in the state of Washington, and then we moved back to my brother's farm, and we brought all of the knowledge and all of the uh, the roots from Washington, and we put in uh, 16 acres, which is a big, big pass. And then we increased that to 25 acres. So uh, we probably picked a, at one day. I remember 2,000 pounds of asparagus. It was quite a project, but. You know, like Dorothy says, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. So. <laughs> that, that seems to be the unofficial farm model, but it's not what Dorothy says. It's what John does. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure the, the truth lies somewhere in between, as it usually does. So you were there you were with your um, multitude of uh, asparagus, and, and you said that you kind of had this realization that, you know, this wasn't really the system you wanted to be working in, and... And what was it about that that wasn't working for you? Well, I think we need to clarify a little bit. The asparagus was working. Uh, the part that wasn't working, Aaron, is when we strayed uh, too far into industrial agriculture. When, when we bought the Fall River Farm uh, in 86, it was one huge cornfield. Everything here we had been corn for about 30 years. So naturally, in order to make our payments, uh, we were under the under a lot of pressure, so we put in corn, and then later on we could rotate and we did some soybeans. But uh, that's the part where we got carried away. The reason we actually bought the farm was to it had high organic matter soil, and we wanted to raise broccoli and cauliflower, and we were going to call the farm ABCs of farming: asparagus, broccoli, and cauliflower. But. <laughs> Uh, we just simply couldn't compete with California on broccoli and cauliflower here in the Midwest. We, they could ship it in cheaper than we could actually grow it, so we had to discontinue that. 
and that's when I thought, well, we ran, we were up to about a thousand acres of either corn, soybeans, or custom work that we did, and that's where we got carried away. We did the asparagus every every spring for six weeks, worked really hard, and then the rest of the year we did. Well, we used to raise about 900 hogs a year, too. Wow, so, so you guys have really traveled kind of the gamut of, of different types of farming production. Well, yeah, and then it was, I think it was in the late 90s, we had our big epiphany and realized uh, this wasn't working for us anymore. So, well, the reason was a couple of our dogs, uh, two of our dogs died of cancer. And it always seemed to coincide, that, like they were the canary in the mine shaft. They'd go out and, you know, walk in the fields after they were sprayed probably and lick their feet. And it was just like kind of shocking, like, this, you know, did we do this? Is it our fault? Our water, we had some nitrates in it, and we started thinking about uh, what could we do to make changes. We liked the asparagus because it was more of a permaculture thing. Mm-hmm. You plant it once and and there you go. And the other part of it was economic. See, we had a pretty huge farm with a huge debt, and we had to do whatever we had to do to uh, pay that mortgage off. And like you said, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but uh, sometimes you're forced to do something you're not, you're not totally liking. But at one point, we just said, that's it. We're going to change. And one of the things that we came across was an essay by Aldo Leopold, and then all the Leopold, as you know, is our grandfather of ecology, and he's, he's right here at the University of Wisconsin. And he wrote the Sand County Almanac the year I was born, uh, I think, in 49. Um, and he, ha- he had an essay called The Farmer is a Conservationist. And I've never read anything in my life that made so much sense. Like, why not? We are farmers. We should take care of the land. Excellent. And so since that time, we've kind of lived by example. We've, we've just stuck to our convictions, and uh, having the grass, having uh, the bobolinks come back and the meadowlarks, there's so much wildlife that happens when you have all the biodiversity of a, of a grass-based farm. And how about the highland cattle? I mean, how did you guys stumble upon them as kind of the right fit uh, in, the, in the beef world for you? Stumble's a good word, Dorothy. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we like to say that they found us uh, about the same time that we were, you know, exploring turning our farm into uh, to grass. Um, our extension agent told us about um, a study done in southwestern Wisconsin uh, in conjunction with our Department of Natural Resources and the University of Wisconsin Extension. And they had used Highland cattle to help restore an oak savanna. And we found that pretty interesting because uh, we have a creek running through our farm and, you know, we have some scrubby trees growing up along the banks. And we thought, well, you know, Highland cattle with their tougher tongue and throat, they could help us clean up that area. So uh, uh, I, I knew someone who had a few animals and we went to look at them and we thought, hey, yeah, why not? And uh, we bought our first 12, and it just kept uh, multiplying from there. When we bought our second herd that had a bull, we knew we would need a bull, and that had some calves. And it was when we ate the first uh, steer, had it butchered, it was like, oh, my God, this <laughs> is the best beef I've ever had in my life. And it turns out that we get that comment a lot. The Highland is slow to mature, so uh, it ends up more like an Argentina beef. It's It's got quite a bit of 
physiological age to it. It's three years old when we butcher them, and then we age them for 21 days. So that's another process that not too many people do in the modern industrial method. And so it just intensifies that beef flavor. And, uh, yeah, the highlands, we just fell in love with them. I mean, you watch them in the morning uh, when the mist with their horns, it's just, it's, beautiful. It's, it, we have it a lot right. of people come and just take photos of the Just cattle. to take a picture. Yeah, no, no, they're a beautiful animal. So I know that your beef is available, um, you know, for those in the region, they can find you at the farmer's market or uh, there's a number of restaurants in the Madison area that, that serve your beef. And then you do sell some cuts through Heritage Foods USA as well. Is that correct? We do. We sell our uh, ground beef through Heritage Food. comes in one pound packages and, uh, I think we've been uh, working with them for, oh, at least six, maybe seven years. Nice. So and we'd, we'd love to get more beef moving through Heritage Food because they've done such a, uh, a great job of promoting heritage breeds and promoting farmers that raise those breeds. And their belief is our belief that in order to save animals, you really need to eat them, which means you have to have a have some economic value there. And we wouldn't be up to this many head as we do today if it wasn't for the fact that people support us raising a heritage breed. Wow, that's awesome. So we are going to move to a short break, and then when we come back, we will tuck into that uh, often pushed-off conversation about retirement. So stay tuned. All right. The following is a message from HeritageFoodsUSA.com. Heritage Foods USA promotes genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. Committed to making wholesome, delicious, and sustainably produced heritage foods available to all Americans. Heritage Foods USA purchases 200 heritage pigs a week, each and every week, from a network of about 25 independent farms. In addition to pork, they also process about 7,500 heritage turkeys each November, as well as small amounts of other foods like heritage lamb, beef, and chicken. Learn more and order today at HeritageFoodsUSA.com. We are back. You are listening to The Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. I am your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are on the line with John and Dorothy Prisque. We're talking uh, Highland Highland, uh, cattle before the break, and now we're going to tuck into a little bit of retirement conversation. So I did a little bit of research before the show, kind of taking a look at um, some U.S. ag census numbers from the most recent ag census uh, data available, which is from 2007, I was surprised to see that Wisconsin is actually one of the five um, states in the nation that has the youngest average age of um, principal operators for farmers. And 
they're kind of bucking the trend. I mean, definitely the fastest growing uh, segment of farmers in the U.S. is, I believe, 60 plus. And this conversation around farm transition uh, is really dovetailing with this emergence of um, new interest in farming and young people looking to kind of enter this this world of making a living in agriculture. So I was hoping you guys could talk a little bit about your retirement plan and, and kind of how you've come to decisions around that and, and where it's at today. Well, we are, we are in that 60-plus category, so it's a topic that uh, has been um, on our um, list of things to talk about for the last year or so, and we think that uh, we have several different uh, options to offer a, a younger farmer who's thinking about doing similar to what we're doing right now because we've established a, a really nice beef business, and um, um, I'll let John explain a little bit more about some of the the creative ways that we could help a younger farmer um, start farming and help us ease out a little bit. Well, one of the things, Erin, that you have to realize that we're, Dorothy and I are a little bit different than normal, uh, and you could laugh at that, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> I was trying to be polite. <laughs> we don't have any children to pass the farm on to. We don't have no relatives that are interested in farming. And here we built up this beautiful business, a turnkey operation, and you think, what are we going to do? We can't keep doing this all of our life. We have to figure out how do we, how do we exit out of this. And about five years ago, we got the idea of having an incubator farm. And so what we've been doing is we offer up about an acre of land for vegetable production or even for chickens on a small scale, and we put up a hoop house and we dug in a water line and a power line so that this would be a place where young people could come and try their hand at farming. So we have had a young lady raise some rabbits and chickens and a couple of young men did CSAs and produced vegetables for one particular restaurant. And this year we have two young fellows that were just graduated from the university in Madison and they want to farm and they're a part of slow food. Uh, the university has their own slow food group so some of the food they're producing from our acre of land will be uh, processed and used in the they, they have a, a lunch every week and then a dinner uh, every night, once, one night a week. Monday night. And so some of the food raised here will go back and feed the, the kids, at the students at the university. So we're really excited about that. And the reason we did the incubator was to allow people a chance. We call it plant a farmer and see what happens. <laughs> uh, if they like it, then they can move on. And uh, last year's group, they ended up uh, going out to Oregon to work on a farm. So it gives them a chance to just see if this is what they want to do with their life. Uh, we like it because it adds diversity to our farm. Being a beef farm uh, is not a complete uh, system. You need to be able to grow uh, the rest of the food, the vegetables. So this gives us a chance to use some of our winter compost and turn it <clears throat> into good manure for uh, fertilizer for the garden. And our farm is all certified organic, even though our beef isn't, but our farm, we've certified that organic. Uh, 
And one of the other things Dorothy and I did that we thought was very, very important was to protect this farm. It's 279 acres uh, from development, because that is a thing that's going on in Wisconsin and probably all over the country. Uh, homes are moving out to the country and taking up good farmland. So just on July 3rd, uh, we just put an easement on our farm, so it'll, it'll always be protected for farmland. Wow, congratulations. And we really excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Who did you work with to uh, put the easement in place? Well, we worked with the Natural Heritage Land Trust. Uh, they will be holding the easement, and then the funding came from uh, the Wisconsin Department of Ag and also the USDA. Excellent. And how was that process of, of putting the easement in for you? I mean, how long did it take from kind of the decision to do that until the easement was put in place? And what was that process kind of like for you? Well, it, oh, go ahead. It took about four years total to complete the, the process. And uh, the last year and a half has been uh, particularly... Uh, uh, stressful and emotional, a lot of ups and downs, and it had to do a lot with the political climate in Wisconsin. The the program funding was uh, eliminated from the budget and then came back in the budget, and it was a new program, and they had to write guidelines, and it it took a long time. Yeah, that sounds, doesn't sound dissimilar to uh, the back and forth we've had here in New York State. I know um, we at the radio station have been host to American Farmland Trust a few times on a couple of different shows talking about the work they do here in New York State, but they are a national uh, farm preservation and conservation organization. And, and this topic of um, kind of how land easements are, are funded in that process is something that we'll be looking to discuss more on the program. Now, now that the land is in easement, what does that mean for for your future as far as uh, selling the land or, or selling the business. I mean, often I feel like when you talk with farmers in your age range about what their retirement plan is, they say, well, my plan is to die. Um, so, <laughs> Well, you're, you're absolutely right, Erin. Uh, a lot of farmers don't have plans to retire. And from our experiencing, experience working with a couple of local farmers, they don't want to give up control of what they have. They think they will last forever. And they still want to make those uh, decisions. And a young farmer comes in, has his own ideas, and, you know, it's okay for the, the retiring farmer to not necessarily mentor but maybe to coach uh, on some things or to be asked because he does have a lot of knowledge of the land. But you can't, uh, you can't handcuff the new people coming in because they might have ideas that we've never even considered there's markets that might need to be explored, uh, little niche markets. There's a lot of things can happen. Um, so, go ahead. Well, one thing that we've been talking about is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a viable business. We could sell the business but retain ownership of the farmland and rent that to the new business owner. Uh, that would be a, a win-win situation, really, because uh, uh, assuming the, the person coming in is younger, might not have the financial wherewithal to, to buy the business and the farm, uh, this would get them in at a lower level uh, monetarily, but 
it would also provide us with uh, income from from the rent on the land. So we think that's that's a very viable option to uh, to explore. And that's where I was going with these uh, farm farmers we've worked with. Most of uh, farmers' uh, wealth is tied up in the land. Uh, we're always uh, rich on paper, but cash poor. Uh, so if if you rented out your land, you, that would be like interest on your investment. So we would be able to uh, still have something that's real, and and be able to have enough money to uh, live on after we're we're uh, retired out. So are you actively looking for someone to to come and and purchase the business? Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, we're not sure how we're going to go about it at this point. Uh, we've had uh, a neighbor couple that have expressed interest. Uh, we've had guests that have stayed here on the farm, and they've liked what we've done. And I might add that you know we were recognized uh, twice last year. Uh, we did win the Wisconsin Conservation Farmer of the Year Award through our Land and Water Conservation Department, and that was a huge honor to be recognized uh, by them. And we also won a uh, environmental uh, restoration award, a Leopold Award, through the Friends of the Arboretum at the university. And that, that was just two things that happened that gave us a lot of, lot of uh, recognition, and people have seen that. And the, the main restaurant that we've worked with for 10 years, Lake 12 Restaurant out of Madison, Tori Miller just won the Best Chef yeah, in the Midwest. Yeah, Best Chef. <laughs> congratulations to them. I know. That's like a, a very uh, famous and longstanding um, and also an interesting transition story there. As, as Tori, I believe, was working um, under Odessa Piper for several years as that's a sous chef, and then she um, made the leap and, and sold him the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and but rem- I think you know stayed on in a mentorship capacity and, and probably you know remains you know in that role I would guess. So, what would you say are some of the most important characteristics um, that that you're looking for in, in someone to come and and take over some of the operation on your farm and, and things that you're looking for in a potential uh, partner looking forward. Sometimes I think that it might not be just one person. Um, you know, Dorothy and I have sacrificed an awful lot to, to build this business. It, uh, maybe it would have been easier if we just started with nothing as opposed to having invested in the industrial model of agriculture and then having to divest that and then pursue our goal. Kind of have, we had to step back and then go forward again that uh, somebody coming in now would have a total leg up and be able to uh, be uh, shot forward off from what we've built. I think what we've done, we have a very good example of a good, of a good farmer's approach to, say, land stewardship and food production, but I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what could be accomplished. So I think what, uh, what a partner or a new owner would have to be is... Uh, uh, a good marketer and or uh, work with someone who is also a, a good producer because uh, they're really two different functions, but they happen to um, come into play in, in this particular kind of business. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think your, you know, your personal story is really reflective of uh, of farming as a profession in that you're constantly uh, engaging with the land and with your production and, and with your cycles and market cycles. And there is this balance between meeting the very real needs of, you know, paying your your mortgage and, and keeping your bellies full in addition to being a, a steward of the land and responding to market demands. I mean, there's there's definitely something to, said, to be said for having a a multitude of uh, skill sets and, and a diversity within the background. So thank you guys both so much for, for joining us on the show today. We'll definitely recommend to the listeners if they want to check you out. That website again is www.fountainprairie.com. You have a lovely inn right there on the property so people can actually come and you know make some introductions and, and stay on the farm. And you will be looking for, for new kind of uh, trial farmers again for the next next growing season or or how would that process work if people are interested in in you know playing around on an acre out at fountain prairie well we've we've never had a problem finding people because we're at the market every saturday and we get we we are so connected with slow food and uh we just have a a very good connection with uh, the young people in town so uh, we've never actually had to promote how to find young farmers to come in but i think there's a lot more opportunities that could be uh initiated besides just the one acre absolutely great well john and dorothy thank you so much for being on the show thank today you very well, much, it's our Aaron. pleasure Aaron. okay mm-hmm. let's definitely stay in touch also big thank you to joe for engineering today's show you can always find archived episodes of the farm report on heritageradionetwork.org and on itunes as a podcast remember we're live every thursday at 1 p.m and if you have any questions for the show you can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org See you next week, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our programs archived on our website or by searching iTunes for Heritage Radio Network. You can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.